for you including mine and you got terry as well fantabulous now this is our pre-season friendly podcast so to speak we'll be covering uh kind of everything that's happened over the summer has anything particularly happened uh, exciting happened to either of you you've got some cats i've mine. got i've got two cats yeah less said about that the better uh <laughs> no otherwise been around holiday spent a bit of time with the family it's been all right been all right Terry? Stepped away from my boxing club. Um, well, you left entirely. Um, officially taking a break. I don't know if I need to go back. Don't know if I particularly want to go back. We've got a longer section on this later. Let's, uh, let's, well, let's no, dig on it. Um, <laughs> let, let, let's just put it this way. Um, when you're an ambitious coach in this game, and there are probably coaches listening to the understanding you want to be able to win. And to do that, you need an environment where you can win. I know how to create one. I was frustrated in creating one. So I stepped away. What's the next move? Um, there are big enough clubs in London and I've proved myself. So I'll end up somewhere and it'll be equally as interesting. Are you not tempted to go and... Uh, sorry, we've already gone off piece from where we started. No, I'm happy with uh, <laughs> Are you not tempted to go and do pro? Um, I could do. Um, we're, go we're, we're going to discuss a lot of the amateur scene and I think the landscape's changing to the point that I could probably do both. Is this under the new guide? Of, uh... Anyway, we'll come on to it later, but... Um, I'm actually, actually, no, no, let's, let's go into it now. Seeing as it's a pre-season show, we're all going to be a bit all over the place tactically, so bear with us, audience, man. It'll be a hell of a lot of fun. We're swapping in and out as well. We've got subs, we got... <laughs> <laughs> Just go for it, Jimmy. Um Okay, so high take level... It, take a Fabian Bartes-esque dribble. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll step outside the Olympics for a second and come back to that. Let's look at, the, let's look at English boxing in particular. So we have a civil war, as, as was discussed exclusively on this podcast before. We now have a civil war where the London ABA voted by 75 to 25 to leave England boxing. And what that means essentially is their boxers will not be registered their boxers will not box for England. They will not box for GB. Um, that doesn't mean no London ones, does it? Just those that voted out. Yes, so 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 there are some that voted out and then kind of ran around the corner and went, well, England boxing, sorry, we're coming back in. My club did that as well, which was, you know, something that surprised me. And, you know, as a coach in a club, it's always a bit disappointing when they don't tell you what's happening, but we'll leave that for now. So you essentially have a civil war. And the problem with the civil war is this. If you were to list the London clubs by in terms of prestige, and you're looking at Earlsfield, the home of Joe Joyce, you're looking at Fitzroy Lodge, the home of David Hay, you're looking at the Lynn, you know, Derek, Danny Williams, uh, Spencer Fearon, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at, you know, the Fisher, you're looking at the creme de la creme of London clubs who have said, we want out. Now, the problem you have with England boxing is this is spreading across the country. So a lot of big clubs are saying we want out and they've misread the mood because when you talk to a lot of these guys, all they want is boxing to go back to how it was, where kids fought two or three times a week. You had shows that were well attended and these sorts of things. Can and I call this box it? So I'm just throwing it in there. <laughs> oh God. Broxit? No. Well... Um, uh, can I just ask, just quickly, can you, in a nutshell, wrap up the dis dispute for those who don't aren't up to date with why this has come to pass? There, there's a lot of things. So, right. so I thought not. Yeah, <laughs> that's a note. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, hi high level terms. Look, I have an article about it on my website. Go and read that. So I'll keep it very high level. Number Seven Wolves Boxing. Go check it. Dot com. Eddie Hearn. Make sure you check that out. Um. Num checking out mine. Number one, amateur boxing is a dying sport. If you look at participation, like especially at the top end, number of bouts per season, everything's going down. Number two, England boxing can't commercialise the sport. So 
you know, there's no TV coverage. You, you know, you can go on Sky Sports and you can watch all kinds of obscure sports. You can watch netball. You can't watch amateur boxing on Sky Sports. Um, they haven't found a way of being able to commercialize it. So there's no money going down to the clubs. GB Boxing takes the lion's share of Sport England funding, which doesn't reward the clubs for producing boxers. So the clubs are saying GB doesn't need us because they're going to go to a model anyway of just picking kids at 11 and going, you're going to come through the GB system from when you're a kid. So they're saying we need to look after ourselves. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there's a number of reasons. It's participation, it's commercial, it's administrative, it's control. There are a lot of things that England Boxing has ignored for years. And this is what's caused the breakaway. And it's problematic because it means participation is down, which means funding will go down. So it's actually bad for the sport. Best case scenario for this ending well is Sport England say to England Boxing, you need to find a way of making peace if you want your funding. So you've got the uh, England Boxing set up. So what's the alternative then for those that are voted away? At the moment, it's the Amateur Boxing Alliance. No clear vision. They're more they're more like a like a UKIP, a protest party at the moment. <laughs> Fuck, we've won. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, so they've been agitating for change for a while. And now they've got that change, everyone's looking to them like, What's the vision? I don't think they get it yet. Um, <laughs> so suddenly no Polish people are boxing. Is uh... If they're like UKIP, then their leader's resigned and they don't have a clue what they're going to do. <laughs> we never expected to win. Well, I can see that happening. But, but here's the interesting thing. The biggest threat for this will be to guys like Steve Goodwin and Mickey Helliot. Because these guys are charging you 35 quid to go to the York Hall to watch bin men and taxi drivers you know, poorly skilled fighters, generally meatheads who like to be in boxing gyms, if we're being honest, with the, with the rare exception of your guys like your, ah, oh, fun time Frankie, the wise guy, Frank Buglioni, uh Daryl Williams, uh, Tyler Goodjohn, Johnny Garton, those sorts of guys are at the top end. The rest of them, I don't want to say are mediocre, but they, <laughs> they could do better. Bin men and taxi drivers, I think we've got yeah. that base. So, so, so you're charging £35 for that. I'm confident if you took a show that had Fitzroy Lodge, Earlsfield, West Ham, Dale Youth, Fisher and the Lynn, and they they put on 10 to 15 bouts, charged 20 quid, they'd fill the York Hall. All of a sudden, why would you go and watch a Mickey Elliott show when you're actually watching the future before your eyes? So there's an opportunity to create a junior professional division, actually. I don't know if anyone's going to be brave enough to grasp that, but that's something that should be on the table, which I'd be worried about if I was a small hall promoter. Okay, um, do you, we'll, maybe we'll go on about the specifics of the amateur division and uh, sort of, well, actually, maybe a bit later, but what I, I wanted to sort of sidetrack into was what you made of the Olympics. Um, you, when you spoke about funding and stuff like that, I wondered if success in the Olympics has what we've achieved in Rio, will that have led to increased funding for the sport so with that with that sort of come into play and you know how did you think you know obviously to both of you how did you think that team gb did there um do you want me to run down we'll go for it yeah i mean okay yeah we'll go in ascending order uh descending order joe joyce i gave an eight out of ten i thought joe joyce was really really good in the final he came up against tony yoko who to be honest in the amateur game i think is the real deal he's he's the face that amateur he boxing there's a lot of... Um, I'm probably on the other side of the fences. Now, I know Terry's got the argument of quality over quantity, which is perfectly fine. Like, I get that. Tony Yoka looked the more technical and better boxer out of the two. Yeah, I'm probably um, a bit swayed by his physique as well, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, he looked more like, you know, yeah, yeah. like a more attuned athlete. I do think, like, personally, if I was scoring that bout, I would have probably given it to Joyce. Like, And I know there's a counter-argument, but if you look at the stats of how many punches will land i think yoke landed something like six percent more of his punches so 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 the problem you have here is there is there is the precise guidelines judges have so it's all about lead style defense you know when you when you're scoring about so you have to look at both guys against those met those those criteria and go you know who you know lead you know are you coming forward are you aggressive are you putting the work in that's good style how good a technician are you you know, are you throwing those lovely straight shots? But then how on earth did Joe Joyce get to the final based upon these criteria? Because he was um, agricultural throughout every round. But he was blitzing people. 
So what he but he did, blitzed Joker no, on that criteria. So if you watch the fight again, what I liked about Joker was in the first thirty seconds he was a bit rocked by what Joyce came with, and then he just said, "Actually, earmuffs on. I'm going to stand in the pocket with him because he can't box at short range and he can't box at long range. So if I if I stop him boxing at mid range, which is what Joe Joyce loves because he never fully extends, his, he can't extend his punches. Yeah. So if I eliminate mid range, why can't he extend his punches? It's just his style. It, it, when you're when you're big, strong, and fit like Joe Joyce, and you can win bouts, no one's going to correct you because it's like, well, he's winning. But I imagine, and I did put this out in a tweet, if you were to work with a guy like Shane McGuigan, which isn't not too fanciful, I I can see that happening. He would start to extend those punches, and he'd be a completely different fighter. I think if he could extend his punches he'd be a knockout artist because he's big and he's strong, but he's agile. So you've got a 115 kilogram man doing a backflip. That tells you he's pretty explosive. Yeah. No, it's just, you know, in a, in an era where Aiba are clearly moving the sport towards a more professional approach, um, a more professional looking sport, et cetera, et cetera, to have the scoring based upon, as you say, the, the metrics that they are, yeah, if that was a professional fight, a professional bout, and it went to points, I can't... In a month of Sunday, I would not believe Yoko would have won that. Right, so here's my question to, to you both. What are the... For those who don't know, what are the differences between amateur judging... The key differences between amateur judging and professional? I realise that there may be a lot, but just try and give us an overview. You're rewarding different things. So in the pros, you you can reward work rate what do, what is it the, the armchair fans like to say? Effective aggression. You know, where, where someone just keeps rushing forward head first and all this sort of stuff gets rewarded. Whereas with the amateurs, it's more technical. It's more, can you get in, get your shots off, get out? Can you control distance? Can you fight at the range you want to fight? Are you able to defend yourself? Can you show all of the things you've been working on? So I think... When you look at the pros, it's far more of a who won that round. Just who won that round? I thought he won that round 10-9. In the amateurs, it's who do I think did better across these multiple dimensions. And that's why, you know, your your WBC judge, your IBF judges, they just they pick guys who've been refs, guys who've been around the sport because they have a better sense of what happens in boxing. Whereas with amateur judges, you have to put them through courses, you have to drill them because there's specific things you're looking for and you get tested on those. So, is it fair to say then that uh, box uh, professional professional judging benefits from a more dynamic system of judging than maybe a more rigid and therefore too structured amateur system? Let's remember, someone judged Mayweather Canelo as a one fourteen one fourteen draw. I I don't think I've seen judging that bad in the amateurs ever. Artistic, artistic expression, mate. <laughs> or maybe you just had, you, you had the numbers in mind. Someone told you what to score. Allegedly. Yeah. So, no, I mean, in terms of... I, say, I know Terry has his view on it, and I completely appreciate all the points about the, the, the judging. It's just, if you're looking at it from a perspective... I mean, like, the number of punches that... Uh, there was some odd... Um, it's Joyce we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, there was some odd vagrants amongst the numbers. Um, but, like... Joyce landed more punches than Joker even threw. Like, I'm mean, not say landed. I appreciate some of those may have ended up on the the arms or whatever. But by the punch stats of the fight, he landed more punches than Joker threw. So I appreciate the accuracy and the technique, etc., of Joker. But I mean, I think I texted you at the time, Terry, that like on that basis, I'll just throw one punch, land it, and fuck off for the next nine minutes. Yes, but yes. but but that that's that's a successful way to box. Hit and don't get hit. You you couldn't argue with that. I think. We need to remember as well, if you look at the punches Joker landed, he threw a lot of straight rights. So he's throwing his backhand fully extended. He's throwing the power punches. You know, Joyce is busy. And I don't want to do Joyce down. For the record, I quite like Joe Joyce. I think his story is fantastic. And if anyone's read the piece, the one thing I say about Joe Joyce is this. They never wanted him in that GB vest. They wanted Fraser Clark. But Joyce kept beating Fraser Clark. So it's like, well, we've got to have this guy in. They never wanted him. His face doesn't fit. He's not part of the establishment. He didn't come up the ranks. He's just a hell of an athlete. And the problem he has is he met someone in Tony Yoka who is part of the system. And I don't know if I said this to you, Martin, where I said, sometimes when you're judging a fight, 
if the guy looks the part and he looks like he should win, I'm likely to give him the victory. And it's a subconscious thing about, and it's particularly with heavyweights, about if you look the part. Because remember, Great Britain won a gold medal in 2012 because Joshua looked the part. Yeah, He looked the part. The story was fantastic. We all bought into it, so we thought he won. But Camaretti threw far more punches. Yeah, he benefited. Camaretti threw far more punches, was far more effective, frustrated Joshua, didn't get the gold because Camaretti's a, a, he's a policeman in his 30s, he's a bit podgy, a bit awkward, didn't look like he was a champion. But Savon, Savon had probably beaten him before that point anyway. So And Savon didn't look the part. <coughs> that, so can I deduce from this, Terry, that you're potentially agreeing that jo- Joyce may have won this, but you can understand why he didn't? No, I don't. I I would. I no no point did I think Joyce had won that fight. Right. Okay. It's particularly. I just wonder. I thought you were saying that you could. Un, you were sort of saying that the, uh, you could see that other fighters had won, not necessarily because they'd won, but because aesthetically they were pleasing to the judges, and maybe that had swayed their opinion. I well, thought that's what you were. No, no. I think it's part of the calculus, but I think it's part of the calculus in a lot of fights. Uh, Joe Joyce has benefited from that as well. Final note on Joe Joyce, by the way. I watched um, the other day his fight with Usk from the uh, World Series of Boxing from a little while back. Usk now the uh, successful cruiserweight. Tremendous fight. (laughs) Such a good fight. Usk was just causing... like You didn't really see it in the Olympics, but Usk was firing back at him and like actually laying it on Joyce. And you could see then that Joyce was like, he wasn't tremendous in defence. It's not his natural game. Um, and Usk was just catching him with backhands all the time. And Joyce was like, although, but that said, Joyce was also having his fair amount of success. He wasn't put off by the pa- So, Joe Joyce, are we going to see him in a pro ring anytime soon? Anyone? Um, He could be a career amateur and do what Audley should have done. And he could do another Olympics and probably another one after that. He's not young, is he? He's 30, is he? He's 30. Um. So he'd have to be accelerated into the pros, but he has a lot to learn in the pros. So what do you do? Do you just take the GB seat and sit on it for another four years, maybe another eight years? Doesn't it depend do. on how much money somebody offers him. But he didn't get the gold medal, so the money offered isn't going to be spectacular. Yeah, okay. So up in the air is the best answer. We can yeah, and, and no, 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 one, no one that I know that knows him has an answer. I don't think he knows at the moment. But I, I, I suppose say, you could you could potentially because even though he didn't win the gold, his name is certainly he, he was a name in the Olympics, so he might he might do well as an as a, a figure on undercard. Can I put it this way? If I had to base it upon his Olympic showing, I think he would end up signing with Frank Warren, not Eddie Hearn. I think so, and that'd probably be better for him. Yeah. Okay. But move. Oh, can, okay. Oh, go on. Can I? Do you want me to just run through the rest of them? Because there's other ones. Yeah, I think so. I think, well, I, yeah, that's what I was about to ask <laughs> you to sort of give okay. us some, uh, give us a um, lowdown. Lawrence Collier showed he was a rookie at this level. I think if he sticks around another four years, he'll be pretty hard to beat. But I don't think he wants to stick around another four years. He'll probably do another year or so in the GB setup because it's good for him physically, and then he'll decide what to do then. I expect him to turn pro in the next eighteen months. Um, eighty-one kilos, Joshua Boatsy. Turn pro now, utter class, spectacular. I think in this podcast, I said, I think the kid's the real deal. He's one of the few amateurs. No, you never said that, mate. Oh, well, <laughs> check the archives. So Boatsy goes to the head, goes to the body, so relaxed in how he does it, has power in both hands, can move. If you want to stand and trade, he can do that. If you want to box intelligently, he can do that. I don't think he gains anything by another four years. Yeah, he got system. he got old man in that fight as well, didn't he? When he went out, like he, <clears throat> you know, the experience told, and it to me, like he's an exciting fighter. He'd be far more suited to the pros. Um, and you know, what's he gonna do in the amateurs? Fight a load of people like that who are gonna cause him a bit of a headache. Well, actually, he could just go and start earning money now and do it in an exciting um, way and manner. So I'd, I'd expect Eddie Hearn's probably offered him a contract. And that will happen at any time that they decide. He, another guy who will benefit from another year in the GB setup, just to get the the benefits of the training, the nutrition, the specialists you get around there, which you don't get in the pros, or you have to pay for. So that's okay. Anthony Fowler, as I predicted, <laughs> would be an utter bust. Um, it's a lesson for all you young boxers, man. If you're going to be on social media talking about how great you are, make sure you back it up. I, think I saw something um, 
I think it was Coogan Cassius with defending Fowler. I saw a really brilliant argument against it. Um, and like Cassius was saying that loads of people were <coughs> really being harsh to Fowler. And he's, um, you know, like if you went to go and see a film, you wouldn't necessarily be that harsh about the film if it didn't live up to your expectations. So like, why should Fowler and somebody just wrote back saying, well, if they told me that film was going to be the greatest film of all time ever made, and then it was an absolute turd, then you would rightfully go out and, you know, give them the grief that Fowler's got. I am confident all those checks that were meant to go to Anthony Fowler are now making their way to Joshua Boatsy at the moment. He's definitely taken that golden boy slot from Anthony Fowler, which has probably put a hole in Eddie Hearn's plan to build a Liverpool powerhouse in terms of boxing. I just don't think Fowler will cut it in the pros. There's nothing... He has He has no X factor. None of his shots are world-class. His movement's not world-class. He's a guy who's fit and reasonably strong. Disappointing to watch. I'd have given him a 4 out of 10, maybe a 5, if I'm being generous. Josh Kelly, he'll st- he should stick around for another four years. He's He's not at the level where you can say he could cut it in the pros. Um... Uh, how many? Sorry, how many medalists did we get? Did we get from the boxing? Three. So that was Nicola Adams, gold, uh, Joe, Joe, Joe Silver, Joshua Boatsy, bronze. Right. Which is a relatively poor return for the guys we put in. But you should also say there were some unforgiving draws, especially at the smaller weights, where we just jumped in against number two and number three seeds. So, you know, guys like Muhammad Ali struggled. Cash Ashfaq. So, you know, these guys just had really crappy draws. What did we have? Um, is this an improvement or a, 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 it's a massive step backwards? Oh, is it okay? So, it's what, a massive step so what backwards. was the count in London? Oh, god, okay. I think we, was it five medals? I was gonna say eight, it wasn't eight, but definitely, I think we we're in the range of five, right? Okay, but remember, we got three goals in London 2012 Adams, Joshua, and Campbell, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So, it's, it's not. It hasn't been the best games for for boxing, and so so therefore you could what well, the, the the therefore their budget might get reduced, right? Oh, I think I think they, I think, they I think, met their medal target. Yeah. I think so. Oh, I think okay. I, so I think that they'll hold the budget based on that. They'll lose budget if this breakaway becomes serious and they lose participants because that's also part of the formula. But this is a squad in transition. Like if this was twenty twenty and all of these guys stuck around, you'd expect at least five goals. So you know sixty four kilos, Pat McCormack brilliant um i think mccormack can do anything he wants he could win a gold medal in 2020 he could go pro now be a world champion by 2020 um i've known him we met years ago with the Bertley lot he's class act his brother luke is a class act he might go pro or he might take cordina's place at 60 kilos um ashfaq ali you're fine ashfaq didn't show up muhammad ali didn't really show up i thought your fire was really unlucky for for such a a novice at elite level i thought he acquitted himself well and he has a choice whether he joins his brothers in the pros or he waits till 2020 but he's utter class um okay so quick mention um a couple of couple of things we need to do the ladies as well well i was about to say nicola adams right okay this was my view on it I, I thought she looked pretty magnificent in the fights that I saw. I watched her gold medal match, and I think I saw an earlier an earlier fight of hers as well. And uh, personally, I, I thought I thought she, for the most part, outclassed that that other girl that she came up against. It was like she was up against someone's mum. Like the, the woman just looked like a quintessential somebody's mum standing outside the school case. No, no, so, somebody so, had dressed up in a boxing outfit. So the lady she boxed had just come out of retirement. So Sarah Uhorman, I can never say her surname, um, lovely lady, maybe a friend of mine, you know. Um, they, so she came out of retirement to, to box in the Olympics. Um, but this is Nicola Adams. I just think Nicola Adams is the best amateur boxer we have produced in this country in I think generation. it's official isn't it that she is just yes um, technique dedication to the sport the way she represents the sport she's just a class act um, she acquitted herself well um, it's, what's her name it's Estelle Mossy Tony Yoka's fiance boxed well it's 60 kilos Shelley Watts was unlucky for Australia there's a lot of good talent I think it's probably the most competitive division in women's boxing um, and at 75 kilos 
the lady I think is probably the best amateur out there full is stop. It, is there Shields. any scope for professional female boxing? Not yet. No, and and what will change that is how women engage with boxing. When women are prepared to spend yeah. thirty five pounds to watch a whole card of women boxing, it will take off. Well, frankly, even if men were prepared to do that, but the problem off, the it? problem with men and women's sport is we never se- we never separate the sporting from the sexual. This is why we watch people like Anna Kornikova, even though she wasn't that good. Sharapova, even though she's not as good as serena williams but it's very hard for men to separate women as sexual objects and women as sporting icons you add in a woman that could probably knock you out and it's a bit confusing for men it's always been my view so women are the key factor in driving (coughs) female boxing forward if you ask me yeah i mean the other thing um like i I didn't really see an awful lot of the olympics in general because i was on holiday um Alright, big time. <laughs> <laughs> but the bits I did catch, uh, I don't really watch women's boxing, you know, per se, but I did catch bits of it. Now, from a very, very casual observer's perspective, like I can watch it from a technical perspective of watching it. But the one big thing that stood out for me, I say with very little background knowledge to any of it or who they were, aside from Adams and Shields, perhaps, is that there's very. Um, little chance, and I know they've got the headgear on and what have you. They just don't look like they're going to knock each other out. Like I'm not watching it, waiting like for the big knockouts or for the stoppages. It's all a very, very technical uh, bout, which is fine. And like from the purist perspective, is fine. But you're going to struggle to put that over as a professional product because you know there's an awful lot of boxing fans, the ones that fill out the matchroom shows, that are just baying for blood. They're the ones that want to see people sparked out on the canvas while somebody else gets a hand raised. You're not likely to get that in a large percentage of the women's boxing based on what I saw of the elite ones at the Olympics. Now, that's saying that they are technical boxers and that is something, you know, it's an art and it's to be appreciated. It's not necessarily something that will transpose itself into the professional ranks. So so as a guy who trains side by side with Heather Hardy, one of the things I've realised is if you reduce the size of the gloves you will immediately get knockouts. Like, you know, you saw what Holly Holm did to Ronda Rousey. So the, the power to knock women down and knock women out is actually there. Yeah, that's true. Like, women's it's, MMA seems to it, be, a, be about. So I think it's more just about how, how, do we, how do we create the environment in which those sorts of events can happen? I think you reduce the, take head guards out, reduce the glove size, I think you'll get some, it's some a, stoppages. It's a chicken and egg scenario, isn't it? Because you're not going to get the stoppages without that, but then you don't reduce the head, uh, the, the glove size and the, take the head guards off without having a product to go out and sell. But who's going to buy it without seeing it first? So it'll be interesting. Um, so I've got a friend, Kelly Morgan. She boxes pro. I think she's like WBC. She's at Swindon, so. isn't she? Yeah. yeah she's... Now, she'd say, look, you know, there are people I could probably put on, my, on their backsides. But, you know, I'll, I'll probably pick her brain. But I genuinely think you can get knockouts. I've seen some in America. So Ava Knight, well, you know, one of my favorite female boxers, you know, she, she, I mean, you see, you see these girls marked up, bloodied up. It's also a tough sport. Oh, don't get me yeah. wrong. Like I, there's the, uh, Adrian Bowes, who was the former Haringey cup champion. Yeah. Um, like I've taken a left hook off her to the body, um, in small gloves and fuck me. Like it took two and I was down. Um, so like, don't give me, I'm not saying they can't punch. I'm not saying they're physically as strong, not as physically as strong as men, etc., etc. It's just the product that was on offer at the Olympics. If you told me that, like, take the head guards off, make the gloves smaller, next week they're going out into the pros, it wouldn't. I, I can't believe there would be the um, the hunger from the fans. I said, bearing in mind where you're going to make the big money out of it, and the elite ones would want to be on a matchroom show, say, you're not going to reach that level yet unless what they need to do is almost like start to filtrate into that. So get on the undercards there and start to show it off as a highlight reel. So I'd actually challenge that. I'd say I'd want to go and box in Scandinavia because as, as Derek Chisora has seen, like, you know, Derek can undercard on a female boxing bout. They, they have a very different view on gender roles and those sorts of things. So female boxing in the Scandinavian countries is something you can make a living from, which is positive. So if you go out there, maybe you prove yourself, you can bring it over here. I don't think it's something you'd want to run through matchroom because I think that's a different dynamic. You'd want probably, uh, trying to think off the top of my head, you'd want someone to do something small, maybe fill, fill your call up, you know, 
someone with a completely different proposition. Phil York Hall. There was talk. Build from there. It was Andy Lee, Billy Joe Saunders, the first scheduled fight in Ireland, where they were talking of having Katie Taylor on in about against. I, I don't know who the opponent was going to be, um, but it was like an exhibition bout or something like that. You know, if you could get that out in a two good enough elite level opponents, at least let us see what they can do. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm confused. Like, if you're looking for a level of like androgyny, then you've got to surely not differentiate between the sexes in event form. Because, you you know, if, as soon as you start going, oh, this is a female event, this is a male event, then by definition, you are you are putting in barriers or, or differences between the two. Why can't you just have some female boxers on a male card? Because you're trying to drive things through different dynamics. So my view is you should have grassroots females driving the sport and they should be the ones filling the arenas. They might not necessarily want to go to the O2 and be doused in beer by Floyd Moore fans, if I'm being honest with you. They might want a completely different dynamic. They might, you know, but it might be the case that as female boxing matures, you go, actually, the sports are kind of one and the same. Let's bring them all back in. But I think it needs someone just to incubate for a bit so we can get a critical mass. It'd be interesting just to see if someone was willing to have a try of something, you know, just at least to give it, give it because, a, a shot. But. Because I looked at, for me, I looked at the 75 division. Clarissa, Clarissa Shields could box as a pro. Anna Laurel from Sweden can box as a pro. Um, Kay Scott from Australia can box as a pro. I've seen her put people down in sparring. You know, guys, ladies like Shelley Watts, Natasha Jonas could come out and box as a pro. Nicola Adams could all box as pros. My, my only challenge would be Beyond that top layer, is there enough beneath that to make it a competitive series? Okay, I think we've probably done this to death. Is there anything else you want to talk about in regard to the Olympics? No, apart from just to say Shakur Stevenson looks like he's going to sign to Mayweather, but the Cuban lad that beat him, wow. If he defects to the United States or wherever, wow. Um, Sotomayor's nephew, the guy that, the Cuban guy that boxed for Azerbaijan, looked like a young Thomas Hearns, and just real leverage puncher if he turns pro god help people you know in the welterweight division so no there were some prospects not a vintage year for boxing in my opinion but there's a few sparks definitely some some indicators that 2020 will be a good year for gb okay moving on um in order to sort of like preview the year and look forward to what's up and coming because we will specifically go through fights like for example Brooke Golovkin which I'm, I know a lot of people are looking forward to you ran a poll didn't you and people were looking most forward to that fight the ones that at least took part in your poll yeah which surprised me like what surprised me most is that Crawler Linares came out bottom um not good fight no drama I bring drama I bring great show yeah, he'll bring a great show. It's just fucking Brooke will be laid out in the corner. So Nah, Brooke's got him, mate. Brooke's got his number. <laughs> so, yeah, no, uh, Brooke Triple G. So, you know, it's clearly the Triple G factor, not the Brooke factor. Yeah, so I, I so we've got that coming up, and we will pre- preview that um, next week on our next podcast. But uh, as for the season as a whole, I'm going to ask both of you, what are your... What are just give me two hopes and two expectations for the year. Maybe we'll expand on, on what that's gonna, you know, what those things have in store for uh, the boxing community at large. Um, me, David Hay getting a world title shot. I think. What is this? A hope or an expectation? It's a hope. Um, I think it's time we just put everything to bed and we go right. How good is the guy? Prove yourself. I think he's good enough to do it. Let's just get it over and done with. Because then it stops all the Twitter haters having a go at the guy. Um, second one. I hope to see Groves to Gale too. I have a feeling next year might be the best time for that to happen. I think it's the biggest fight you can have in Britain right now, even bigger than Fury Joshua. Um, Expectations. I expect that we'll, we'll be talking this time next year about what happened to Fury Klitschko. Um, and I expect... As in, as in what? It won't happen. That's what you, 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 so we'll be saying whatever happened to that fight coming up. Yep. So, but how can Fury, you think Fury's just going to mess Klitschko around until he just goes, like, I'm not interested anymore? So look at it this way. They have a contract, right? Yeah, and, so I'm and, assuming Fury can't just go, nah. Yeah, exactly. So Klitschko invokes the contract and goes, I want the rematch. Over time, Klitschko is now like, 
I've missed revenue opportunities against everyone. I could have fought Joshua. I could have fought Wilder. I could have fought Povetkin. I could have fought anyone who made money. But I don't want to pay Fury for cancelling the fight because whoever cancels has to pay. So they're looking for ways to frustrate the fight so it can't happen. Fury failing a drug test, Klitschko varying terms. It's this massive game of chess where, to be honest, the lawyers just sit over the table and go, look, no one wants this fight to happen. They're supposed to just walk away and no one gets punished. Did I see on Twitter, um, well, I did, but I don't know exactly what it was in reference to, um, Klitschko saying that Fury's trying to change the terms so you've got to go to court or something. Well, they're all trying to change the terms. That's what happens in contractual negotiations. You know, Klitschko might say, I want to do it in Germany. And then Fury's team will say, okay, we'll come to Germany, but we then want this in the contract. So it, it, there's horse trading that happens. So it's, you can't sue someone for varying the contract because you either agree to the variation or you don't. It's when you try and frustrate the contract, that's when you go to court. So by frustrate, what I mean is you try and prevent anyone being able to perform the contract. Okay, so your final expectation of the year? That's oh, a tricky one. Um... Okay, well, we'll give you a second thing. Have you, you got any hopes, Martin? Oh, no, I've got, I've got it. I've got oh, it. I've got, got it. it. Adonis Stevenson. That's your first expectation. Adonis Stevenson will duck the winner of Ward Kovalev. <laughs> uh, why? I just don't think he's all there. You know, I just, he, he'll, just, he'll do it just to make himself feel important. Okay, Koki. Um, Martin... Uh, right, hope number one. Um, something that's kind of gone a little bit under the radar of late is more and more of Hearn and Warren fights being made. Um, so you recently had Eggington versus Skeet happen, which I know went down to purse bids, but there's ways you can get out of that. Um, you know, Eggington give the title away, for instance. Um, or Skeet just not take the fight. If Warren doesn't want his fighter to appear on Sky, they can do that. Um, then you've recently had Luke Campbell announced against Debbie Matthews up in Liverpool um, on the undercard of Bellu Flores. And also you've got Ryan Farag. So Matthews and Farag are both uh, Frank Warren fighters who are going over. Now you've also got at the same time Chris Eubank Jr. who despite all the uh, contractual issues around him in general, like he's still a matchroom fighter at present contractually. He's fighting Tommy Langford on a Box Nation show. So they're actually going the other way as well. Um, so as a hope, like, can we hope that actually you can get a little bit of, um, cross-contamination between Hearn and Warren? Now, in a way, like, I would see that as almost being a get-out, and I know Terry's got views on how Box Nation is, as a channel, outdated in the current climate of how you consume media and things, such as streaming, I completely agree with him. Like, is is it a little bit of a thawing of the relationship between the two? And actually, because Skeet is a big commodity out of Frank Warren's stable, Derry Matthews is on the back of losing to Terry Flanagan for a world title fight. So that's one of his world title challenges, um, being, you know, allowed to fight on Sky. And there's no great benefit to him. Like, he may well get beaten by Campbell. You know, the odds are heavily in Campbell's favour. Um, Farag, you know, he was in the kind of European position before he lost recently. So there are three, like two big names for him and one medium, um, all been allowed to fight on Sky over the last, you know, in the space of six months. Is it a bit of a thawing? I'm hoping that you start to see, I say, a little bit of almost like a, maybe a merger. I'm not saying that it's ever going to happen as a merger, but uh, actually it could spell, you know, possibly the end of Box Nation and find a way for the two to coexist on one platform, maybe. So, Warren and Hearn in love, that's what you're Yeah, I'm stressing for. the word hope on maybe this Maybe they one. can get married or something. Yeah, yeah. Now, again, I'm hanging on the word hope. So you are, let me just get this right, you are 100% predicting that Warren <laughs> is going to marry her. <laughs> okay, second hope. Second hope will be that we stop seeing mismatches that are sold around the world as being close fights <laughs> so I'm, I'm not a talking bit no but within I don't mind it so much within a single division so Joshua Brazil I can live with that at least you've got two fucking heavyweights Triple G Brook is following on the back of Khan Canelo 
I know the differences in the fights, etc., etc., etc. I might look like a massive mug in a couple of weeks, and Brooke goes out and sparks him out in a round. It ain't gonna happen. Brooke will get annihilated. Connect, uh, Golovkin hasn't been troubled by any middleweight. Now, you can argue whether he's faced the best middleweights or not. Um, and not is the uh, the answer ultimately because people, you know, for whatever reason, may not fight him, etc., etc. There is no way that a welterweight steps up two divisions and beats him. It's just not going to happen. So, like, I'm fed up from seeing the Khan Canelo stuff and now seeing the Brook Golovkin and the way that Sky make people. The only thing that I can possibly hope is a good outcome out of this is if the odds on Golovkin get slimmed so far because you get all these Sky observers that watch it and think Brooke actually has a fucking chance in the fight, put loads of money on it and bring the odds in. Like, that'd be fantastic. Because then everybody just lump on Golovkin and you're buying money out of it. Um. Okay, so... Um, cynical expectation. I mean, expectation. Expectations. Uh, so by this time next year, say, are we... So it's similar to how um, Terry's discussing the Fury-Klitschko not happening. I'm going to expect in 12 months' time... Golovkin still hasn't had a meaningful fight. Um, the Brook one isn't meaningful to me. It's a showpiece over here. Introduce him wherever. He will not have had a meaningful fight. So by meaningful, I could determine that as Saunders in the middleweight division. Um, and then you start talking about stepping up. Now, I was tweeting Tom Loeffler, his promoter, about this. And he was praising Kel Brook to high fucking heaven for stepping up and having the bravery to fight Golovkin. Now, you can't do that and say everybody else is ducking Golovkin. Because on that provision, Golovkin ought to be stepping up and fighting Kovalev at light heavyweight, stepping up two weight divisions. It's the same weight difference as Brook coming up to fight Golovkin. It's Golovkin going up to fight Kovalev. But they won't do that with Golovkin. Like he, He's shown no interest in going up to super middleweight, so he won't be going up to light heavyweight. And yet you've got a promoter praising another fighter for going up those two weight divisions. It's fucking madness. Canelo and Golovkin are... For me, they can't think that they're the best fighters in the world um, if they keep sitting in these bubbles, I don't. Wait, 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 wait! No, 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 no! You can't, you can't compare the two. Canelo's CV is is Hall of Fame. There's, there's no question about that. Canelo has a well, Hall. Then of why does he not move, move around? Well, wait. Well, no, no. Canelo doesn't need to. Like, if Golovkin wants to fight Canelo, he can easily call up Oscar De La Hoya and say, "Let's make it at one fifty-five." The problem is, and I think this is a view of Canelo. He says, "Hold on." I'm the biggest draw in boxing right now, quite rightly, with Floyd retired and Manny kind of in and out of the sport. You can argue he is. He calls the shots. Golovkin can't demand shots from Canelo. And I think it's disrespectful that he does so. If if Canelo says, I'll fight him at 155, and Golovkin goes, no, we fight at 160. Canelo's like, sod that. I've got options here. I've got the Charlo brothers. Um, I could, I've got Brooke coming up or going down, however you want to call it. You know, I've got, Thurman coming up if he wants it. I've got Demetrius Andrade here. If I, Canelo has so many options, incredible options, that he doesn't have to leave one five four one five five. Where can, can where, where's Golovkin going to go at one sixty? Eubank Junior untested. Danny Jacobs, mm, okay, but Jacobs, if he wanted that fight, he'd have done it by now. He's more obsessed with, you know, the guys like Quillen and Andy Lee. You know, Andy Lee can make more money fighting Billy Joe Saunders again. Golovkin's the odd man out at the moment and he needs to realise that and the only way that changes is by Golovkin taking the ball by the horns and stepping like if he made that like power move of going up to like heavyweight and challenging Kovalev in the same way that people are praising Kel Brook for doing it against Golovkin you know stupid or clever whatever like that's how he becomes that relevant person that then he becomes like that biggest name in the sport which currently Canelo probably as you say with, with Mayweather and Pacquiao kind of and now, like, that's the only way that Golovkin cements himself as being the most relevant fighter out there. But it's not going to happen, and that's my expectation, is that in 12 months' time, you're stuck in a position where Golovkin is still, like, pitied by fans. But don't pity it. Like, put pressure on him to make those changes so that it becomes a relevant, you know, situation. I realise Canelo has other options. I take that point. But to clarify my point, it was the fact that as a as a fan, I greatly respect fearlessness. Now, 
Calbrook may well get his ass handed to him the same way Khan did. And I'm not a massive fan of either of them. But I love the way that they were just like, you know what, I'm going to go and do this. And you could argue no, no, well, they well, needed well, to... Whoa, 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 whole... whoa, 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 whoa. We're talking about Brooke Golovkin like this was planned in January. No, it, what, no, what yeah. I'm saying, he still had to make yeah. a decision, didn't he, to go, I'm going to do well, it. Well, you've only got one choice when Eddie Hearn's putting the gun to your head going, I'll tell them who it was. <laughs> <laughs> and what you were doing. Oh, such a sticky road to go down. I, I, I just think that it would... It would I, well, look, from a from a fan's perspective, from my perspective at least, I would prefer to see Canelo Golovkin than just keep watching Canelo go. Now I like to fight this way when everyone knows that he's one eighty when he walks into the ring, one eighty plus. So just have some guts about you, and just if you're that good, why do you need? You know, it's like he has this special ability to pile on thirty pounds before a fight. So I'm going to use it full stop. Always going to stick at 155. Just, just take 160, pile on 20 pounds more than Golovkin anyway, and knock him out. If you're that good, do you know what I mean? Well, that's that. Hey, that's my point anyway. Yeah, no, I'm kind of with you. Like, it's a frustration. It's a fight we all want to see, and it's not happening at the moment. But you can understand Canelo's reasons for it not happening. Um, yeah, no, I'm with you. What's your other experience? <laughs> Sorry, Terry. <laughs> What's your other expectation? Uh, I haven't really thought this through. For, for the listeners' uh, understanding, we just had this thrown on us by Andy. So my other expectation is that Eddie Hearn's still a cunt in a year. <laughs> Next. <laughs> I don't normally use that word, but he's blocked me on Twitter because, and for clarity on this, I asked him how the... Uh, investigation into Tenerife was going and is it still ongoing around what happened to Kel Brook all that time ago um, because it's been massively swept under the carpet uh, Eddie Hearn you can go fuck yourself next yeah I know he's an avid listener to this podcast yeah. as well so we'll definitely get that message okay so we're coming to the end of the material that the lack of a season has provided us. We with. came to the end about five minutes in. Yes. We've, uh, we've padded the other four. <laughs> um, so we've spoken briefly about the heavyweights um, and what uh, you know. Martin went over um, some of the stuff he wanted with it in terms of his um, his promoters, um, and then Terry touched on the Hay title shot and the Fury Klitschko potential debacle. What? Do we foresee happening? I, 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 I accept the fact that I imagine all three of us want to see something happen that isn't as you've you we spoke off air about um Martin about the bums that keep getting carted. I don't know it was on, wasn't you? You spoke about can we turn this round? Like, I've just thought of it the other way round. Can we instead of uh talking through the division straight away? Can we start by predicting who will, in a year's time, like the end of next season, who will be the world heavyweight champions? Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, yeah, like, I currently, if you look at it, down. if you look at it in terms of currently, you have the WBC champion is Deontay Wilder. Mm. Then you've got the IBF champion is Anthony Joshua, and then you've got the WBO and the WBA champions being Tyson Fury. So, how does that differ in a year's time when we come back and we're starting up next season? Um, you know, we've got all that. We'll come to the results first. We'll work out how we got there by the end of it. It should change. I don't think it will. So, the belt that's most vulnerable is the IBF. Because Anthony. if you look down the list, you've got Parker. Parker's beatable. Pulev. Pulev's tough, but beatable. Then you've got you know who. And he's not going away anytime soon. Mr. Hay, for those that uh, are wondering. Yeah, just for John. He'll know. Um, so I think that's the belt most at risk. I think the WBA is a bit too chaotic for Tyson to be under any pressure to defend. WBO equally lacks any traction. WBC belt, there'll be some traction because no one knows how long Wilder's out for. So the WBC might mandate that someone takes the interim title and you expect to see Stavern involved in that against one of another. But it'll be... It'll be Povetkin. Yeah. So, so you can imagine those two dueling it out I'm for the sure. belt. Haven't they actually announced that it's going to do an interim one? I I, th I don't know if it's been announced. I know there were rumours that that was going I'm to sure happen. I'm sure I read it. It may, may have been a rumour, but I'm sure I've read it somewhere that it was going to be an interim Stiverne versus 
uh, Povetkin. And then Wilder will fight whoever wins that upon his return. So I think Wilder becomes champion recess. So you then wonder, let's say Wilder's out for a year and a half. Interim champion would have to defend. Who would the WBC like him to defend against? Probably Hay. So, so David has two or three lanes he can go down to win a title. So that's quite exciting. If you then turn it around and go, who does Fury go after? Wilder's out of action. Fury wants Joshua and he'll fight him anytime, any place. It's about whether Eddie Hearn wants to make that fight now or later. My instincts are you best give Joshua his first loss against the best man in the division. So why not just flit and fight Fury? If he loses, it's okay. He can come back because he's still quite high up in the WBC anyway. So he can always come back. Um, but I, don't, I think Eddie will swerve all of those and I expect he will have... He's, I want him to have Joshua Hay this year. I have a feeling those negotiations won't go well. So you'll have Joshua Pulev. Then you'll have Joshua Parker. Then they'll dig up someone like an Eric Molina or an Andy Ruiz Jr. and to say, look, us. fight him. Yeah. So by the summer, we'll be looking at Joshua going, mate, you still haven't proven yourself. So that's how I see I, I, So in a year, you're saying, so you're going for jo- Joshua being the IBF champion still, you reckon? Yes, but then this time next year, I'll be saying to you, he has to fight David Hay next. You're saying that this year? <laughs> no, 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 this year I said, I said he should fight him. Next year, David will be top of the ranking, so he'll have to fight him. Um, WBC champion, did you say David Hay will be because John's a Zelinter no, champion? Well, he might be mandated to fight. We don't know when that is. The WBC make up their own rules. Do you think Deontay Wilder will hold on to it officially then? He'll be champion recess this time next year. I don't think his hand would have healed in time. Like, like he he bent he bent the the metal pins in his hand. Like, yeah, he he he, he mangled his hand Shut basically. <laughs> okay, so do, uh, and what? Where does Tyson Fury go, and what happens to his belts? Everyone avoids Fury. Fury gets frustrated. You know, he'll end up fighting someone like a David Price just to tick over and keep some money in. Right, so I'm assuming so basically belt. Yeah, so Fury, basically, Fury, I think Fury's unbeatable at this level. So depressingly, you've predicted that we're going to be much the same. I mean, fair enough if that's what you think. Yeah, so, and all you'll hear Eddie Hearn saying is we need to build these fights up. Wilder's been injured. We haven't had a chance to build anything up. Prick day. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you you will have a lot of just a lot. There'll be a lot of talk, not that much action. The person you really need involved heavily in the heavyweight division is Al Heyman. Al Heyman makes fights happen. Are your cats called Hearn and Eddie? Or not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to run them over. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> right, Martin. That's where we look. So, all right, so who are the major threats within the division, I suppose, is what the question is, and which ones of those are going to be picked out of the barrel to get their opportunity? Um, Luis Ortiz is coming up through. Uh, he left Golden Boy last week uh, as a promotional outfit. Um, he's a dangerous guy in the division, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, he's unproven, as are so many of these. Yeah, there aren't that many gatekeepers in the heavyweight division. So you either are a good prospect who beats up loads of like older men or whatever, or you're a champion. There aren't that many like in between fighters. So at the moment, you look at the likes of like say Derek Chisora or Dillian White down that route at the moment. But White's still such a, a prospect still, ultimately. So at world level, so WBC, Deontay Wilder. Yeah, I mean I don't know that much about his his injury. I didn't know about that bent part of his hand. Um, so by the sound of it, that's not going anywhere soon. Yeah, how does metal heal anyway? <laughs> Got a fucking Wolverine. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I guess that's going to be the case. I mean, the only exception to that would be we've seen the WBC do it with uh, Linares is that they've introduced him back in, like they, they've given him his diamond belt to fight Anthony Crawler. So whether they come up with some scenario around that and hand out his regular belt, I don't know, um, in which case it'll be Povetkin, I'm pretty sure, will end up as you know WBC champion and then they bring Wilder back to fight for a diamond belt against Fury or something. Do you know what I mean? It's... Um, IBF wise, <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree with Terry. But like Parker is, if it's not Joshua, it'll be Parker. 
and if it's not Parker, it'll be Joshua. There is no other option to that because Hearn won't be selling off Anthony Joshua to anyone dangerous. Um, you know, Parker is potentially dangerous. You know, he's a a young man. He's a hungry man. He's uh, no, he's poor. He's yeah. Don't he's get me horrible. wrong. Yeah, he's not particularly great. Um, is Joshua? So that's the risk, is that Joshua, you know, he got wobbled by White. I don't know, is Parker better than White? That's what it comes down to. If he is, then he's going to potentially cause some issues. I'd love to see Joshua tested. If you see the, look, but see, the problem with Joshua, and I have this conversation all the time, there's only one way you beat someone like Joshua, and it's with movement and angles. And the problem you have with guys like Parker is they move in straight lines. So someone like Joshua, who's more explosive and faster than a typical heavyweight, he loves that because he just goes forward and he knows his punches are going to connect. The guys he should fight who would give him a hard time are guys like Amin Mansour. Someone like an Amin Mansour who basically just throws heavy shots. There's, there's no pouring away with the jab. He throws heavy shots and he gets in and out. He He's very good laterally and he'll confuse Joshua because his punches hurt. Like He beat the crap out of Brazil until Brazil landed that lucky punch. And he he did more of a job in Brazil than Joshua did. Yeah, no, I, I'm not disagree. I mean, I just is Parker better than White? Probably at the moment um, would be my argument. I'd like to see that fight. I wouldn't mind seeing that fight at all. Winner takes on Joshua, yeah. say. Um, but the situation we've got is it's probably going to be Parker after probably Pulev up in Manchester. Although I did hear a story that it was going to be in Monaco, but that's that's by the by. Um. So, Joshua beats Parker and then holds on to the title. So, it's Fury that's really the the one out of all of them because he's getting to a situation now. He, You know, he won those titles in back end of November last year. Like, unless they sort this shit out with Klitschko, he's going to get stripped. Like, the... <laughs> It's not gonna. The WBA certainly would strip him for inactivity if he hasn't defended within a year, and so you could end up by the end of this calendar year having Fury hold no belts. Like if, and there's no sign at the moment that Klitschko debacle is coming to an end. And so what happens to it? He would get stripped certainly by the WBA because they're very stringent with their own rules because of history. Um, unless this gets sorted by November. There's talk about it being October the 20-something, 20th-something around there. Um, If that doesn't come off, you've then only got a month after that before it's time to start taking those titles off him. So, But let's flip it and go, how dangerous is Vladimir Klitschko, though? Because if the Fury-Klitschko thing doesn't happen, you've basically got Vladimir floating around going, well, actually, hold on, I should be number one contender with a few of these bodies based on my yeah. legacy. It'd be like a free transfer. How, <laughs> how scary would that be if he suddenly inserts himself into the WBC, yeah. the IDFs? and then switch that around as well. That If you've suddenly got Fury stripped, say, by the WBA and the WBO, and he holds no titles... And he comes looking. And he's going around, you know... <laughs> that changes the dynamic yeah. of everything. So that's the wild card element of it, is that you could realistically by the end of this calendar year Tyson Fury could hold no belts and be stripped of all of it and that leaves two very without ever defending them without ever defending them that leaves two very very dangerous fighters as Terry says floating around those divisions and possibly causing havoc somewhere so where we're talking about how safe the other two are that is probably dependent on what the situation with Fury and his defence slash being stripped is. Who is... Um, so Park, Parker is Andrew Joshua's mandatory. Uh, mandatory, which is what, February, January, something like that? Uh, yeah, it's... Yeah. Um, right, okay. So we're not going to see... We're not going to see another... I was hoping we'd get... They only get one mandatory year, right? For, yeah. You know. <clears throat> okay. No, I think no, no, it's mandatory, voluntary, mandatory, voluntary. Unless you do two mandatories in a row, then you have whatever you want. Yeah, but they're not going to keep Joshua that busy next year. You suspect he needs a quiet a year. I I have a quick question. If we know that Fury doesn't want to fight Hay, what happens if Hay wins his title, wins a title? Let's say Joshua. It happens to fight Joshua. 
And then Fury gets stripped. And so his only opportunity then to fight for a title is the IBF one again against Hay. Because that... Do you not remember yeah. Fury's attitude towards being stripped of uh, the IBF title? <laughs> was it, I don't give a shit about titles. So, like, he doesn't give a shit about David Hay, and he doesn't give a shit about titles. He cares about the recognition and the money. He, I would say he morally will not fight David Hay. Um, and it just won't happen. Like, irrespective of titles, he would just go down another route. Because remember, the important thing in boxing is who's the lineal champion. Um, we always talk about who's got belts. It's not, but who's the lineal champion? And to be called lineal champions rare. So if you look at the super middleweight division, there is no lineal champion because no one beat Andre Ward and he moved up. So there's no lineal champion there. In the heavyweights, you've got Fury, who is the lineal champion. He's undisputed champion. He's He beat the man no one else could beat. He doesn't need belts. Like... He beat Klitschko when everyone else was scared of him. He beat Klitschko when Eddie Hearn was like, Josh was two years away from even fighting this guy. So if you're Tyson Fury, you're like, they have to fight me because they can never call themselves the man in the division until they do. Puts him in a strong position. Right. I've got... <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake, was the response when I just told Terry that we have Argue the Arguable. What, are you suggesting you've edited something out of this? No, Because the listeners wouldn't have heard that, no. so it's very confusing, Andy. All right, well, just, just for reference, Terry, edit this bit out, we've, probably. we've got two Argue the Arguables. No, you're not <laughs> going to say it again. <laughs> for listeners, he sank his head against the table. Right, who wants to go first? I'm not going to toss a chronic in, because that was Yeah, go on, go on, I'll step up, I'll step up. This time, Nick, oh, it's good, actually, given what you said before. This time next year, Kel Brook will be widely regarded as the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, he's stepping up two weight divisions to middleweight. Um, so on the back of the Bizier fight, what's that, three months ago, he's going up uh, two weight divisions. So if we take that ratio and see it out for the next 12 months, it's an easy argument. So he'll be at light heavyweight by, what, say, uh, early, probably January time. Uh, he'll be heavyweight champion of the world by uh, what, April. Uh, and so he'll probably defend it once by the end of the season, around about August. Um, and we all know he's very big at welterweight. Um, you know, he likes getting stabbed and he likes um, probably taking <laughs> drugs and sleeping men. So, whatever. Uh, uh, brilliant. Yes, well done, mate. And I'm going to get sued. Excellent. Um, Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, I mean, clearly that, none of that's true or, or uh, real. Or I'm just here as a guest. Um, this is all Andy's podcast. I'm here as a guest and a guest only. <laughs> all the, <laughs> Terry, all the current he heavyweight... <clears throat> Terry, <laughs> all the current heavyweights should join their respective nation's Olympic teams in order to battle it out in Tokyo. It's about time we saw this, these, these, <laughs> these morons box each other for a change. Um, you know, year after year, they duck each other. You know, go to the Olympics. Let Don King bribe all the judges. The winner gets a contract with Don King. We can have the heavyweight division of the 80s all over again, where Don King just basically robs money and rapes boxers, you know. <laughs> Before Mike Tyson threatens to do him in the backside like he did in the 80s. So let's go to 2020. Let's have some corruption, some mayhem and some anarchy again. And let's have an exciting heavyweight division like we did in the 80s. Uh, okay, is yeah, the go. criteria of this now who can make the most slanderous <laughs> comments within 30 seconds? Yeah. Slander the unslanderable. That's the challenge maybe that should be. That's more of a tongue twister. Right. Thank you for listening to our pre-season friendly podcast. I mean, the quality might be lacking, but frankly, you're getting a free podcast. We're not even going to come yeah. back this week. Stop so. whinging. Yeah. I haven't, I'm not even going to edit this. No. <laughs> I'm just going to oh. get it. <laughs> just raw. Unbridled. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, thanks for listening. <laughs> remember, everyone. Remember. Right, go for it. Twitter. New Age there. Podcast. New Age Boxing. Sorry, my mistake. New Age Boxing. New Age, who are you? New Age Podfather? And New Age Podfather, yeah. Yep, at the Seven Wolves. Get involved. Give a shit. We'll give it back. Enjoy. Look, just enjoy what we say. Enjoy what we do. You know, we're fans just like you. So get involved in that. NewAgeBoxing.co.uk, the Seven Wolves.com. 
find us on Facebook. We're everywhere. You know, if you're not involved everywhere, you're missing out on some of the some of the real gems. So make sure you get involved in that. Don't be silent. You know, thank you to everyone that's listening. Um, you know, always have to shout out Sam Khan for not really protecting me against the wolves like she should do. But you know, she steps up when when required. Um, you know, John, your love for Amir Khan matches my love for David Hay. <laughs> which I find weird that you like little men, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but look, once again, guys, man, thank you and enjoy the podcast. Let's have some fun. Um, you know, we enjoy doing this. Hope you enjoy listening to this. Come into rap. We're all friendly people. We all enjoy it. Yeah, you might not get an immediate response from me, but definitely from these two. So... He's shit at Twitter. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Shit up. I'm not good at Twitter. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Get hold of him on Tinder. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> <laughs>